Hi, I'm Sarah Lee, and joining me is my co-host, Juliana. And welcome back to Murder Psyche Podcast, if you've been here before, or welcome to Murder and Psyche Podcast. We are a podcast that dives into old and new cases to try and figure out why the killers did it. We are here for you every week with a new case, and if you would like to recommend any cases, you can check out our Instagram or Twitter, both at Murder Psyche Pod. We also have a YouTube channel if you would like to check that out. That's Murder and Psyche Podcast. Viewer discretion is advised. Also, this is our first recommended case. This was recommended by my friend Jesse. So thank you, Jesse, for the recommendation. Hey, Jesse. <laughs> now let's get into the episode. <laughs> this case is quite confusing, so I will try and to do my best to elaborate it. But there's a lot of people and just way too much that goes on. So life. Yeah. Yeah. So this st- case starts off with John Forrest Goosey. Now let me tell you about John, who also went by Johnny. Johnny was born into a well-off family. His family, Dr. John Go- D. Goosey, was an eye surgeon, and his mother, Claire Goosey, was a breast cancer survivor who actively participated in fundraising. Along with his parents, Johnny grew up with his older sister, Leslie. Johnny was described as a chubby boy with dark, unruly curls. During his early years, he attended the Annunciation Orthodox School. From what I got, the Annunciation Orthodox School is a not-for-profit corporation located in Houston. It strives to give children from all backgrounds a chance at achieving success and has a tuition of 15 grand 800 yearly after graduating from the school johnny moved on to mirabeau b lamar high school his classmates and friends would say that johnny was very much a class clown and will always push the boundaries of his jokes his teacher would say how excellent he was in class and how smart he was Johnny would achieve honor roll grades. After school, Johnny could be found smoking joints and playing with his bass. What are you? <laughs> I don't know. I just heard bass. Okay. So like a typical high school student. Yeah. Like a really smart one though. I'm really s- <laughs> He's really... I'm crying. His honor roll grades. Are you kidding me? A typical high school student doing... Typical, typical high school, school student thing. things. Yeah. Johnny actually graduated a year early in August of 2004. He would also comment about how humble Johnny appeared. For his high school graduation, Johnny received a $70 grand BMW. $70,000. Yeah, $70,000 BMW. Damn. However, soon after retrieving the BMW, Johnny traded it for a Prius. So like right after he got the BMW, he was like, no, nah, I want a Prius? Yeah. Johnny asked one of his friends, quote, What does it tell a 17-year-old boy when your dad gives you a 70 grand toy? End quote. Which is like, go crazy, go stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But if his father wants him to actually learn something. I mean, yeah. I mean, Johnny seems like a pretty smart pretty smart kid he's like on a roll he's like dad why (laughs) i would have kept bmw (laughs) he said no prius (laughs) and held this attachment to a stick figure drawing of a pterodactyl after graduating johnny attended the university of texas at austin for history and english 
During college, he kept up with his honor roll grades. His teachers continued to praise him for his smarts. Outside of classes, Johnny would start selling quarter pounds bags of marijuana to his friends. Many of his friends stated that Johnny never sold marijuana for the money, but more so for the independence from his parents. During his freshman year, he met Stacy Barnett. Now let me explain a little about who Stacy was. Stacy was a year older than Johnny. She grew up with her father, Bill Barnett, and her mother, Joyce Barnett, and older sister, Kathy. She had grown up in the same neighborhood in Houston as Johnny, just a few blocks away. She attended West University Elementary School and then Lanier Middle School, then moving on to Lamar High School and graduating also in 2004. Her loved ones described her as a natural beauty with dark hair and eyes, very sweet and caring. Stacy would constantly donate her hair to Locks of Love. Stacy was also very smart with honor roll grades. She transferred to the University of Texas's Austin as well, but for architecture and interior design. Johnny and Stacy had met each other at a party in 2006. She had recently gotten out of a relationship and vowed she re- would remain single for a year to work on herself. However, this vow was broken when she was charmed by Johnny. Also in 2006, Johnny's supplier had gotten arrested. After the arrest, Johnny was given access to his supplier's connections between Austin and Houston. So with the help of six dealers, Johnny was able to sell six pounds of weed a week. One of his dealers was James Richard Thompson. James went by the nickname Ricky. He came from a slightly different background than Johnny and Stacy. Ricky's parents had divorced when he was young, so initially he lived with his mom, who was a professor at the University of Texas in West Campus. He was, quote, scrawny and nervous looking. He seemed to live the average life as a child despite the divorced parents. Ricky participated in Little League Baseball and Boy Scouts. He attended Austin High School until his mom remarried. After his mom remarried, he moved in with his father in Lakeway, Texas, and attended Lake Travis High School. During this time, he was even able to become an Eagle Scout. However, before the end of the senior year, Ricky dropped out of high school. He had started smoking weed and abusing other drugs. He was also constantly cycling through drugs jobs. Ricky stood out from the rest of Johnny's dealers because he appeared to still be a high schooler and dressed like a quote aspiring gangster end quote whereas the rest of the dealers looked to be college guys and dressed respectfully. The dealers along with Johnny referred to Ricky as the dumbass. Wow. (laughs) Oh nice. In 2008, Stacy started renting out a single-bedroom apartment in West Campus. Even though Johnny had a condo at the time, a lot of his belongings were found in the apartment, such as this stick figure pterodactyl. However, Stacy had a strict rule that the weed had to stay in his Prius. Also in 2008, Johnny graduated early again and began studying for the law school entrance exam. When Johnny noticed a ripple in his business, he confronted Ricky about it. Ricky claimed that someone robbed him of the pound of weed. 
Johnny believed him and gave him another pound. Even though Johnny believed Ricky, he still wanted him to pay for the stolen pound. After a few months, Ricky was able to repay $1,000. However, another ripple appeared and again, Ricky claimed he had been robbed. Johnny, again, fronted him another pound, but this increased Ricky's debts to $8,500. I think with inflation, it's like $10,000 today, but like- Yeah, it would be really around $10,000. About, it's about the same. Mm. However, Ricky's friends and clientele are a different story in Lakeway. Ricky seemed to be living a lavish lifestyle. He was wearing flashy jewelry, he had recently adopted a pit bull, and drove around BMW. A former friends of Ricky stated, quote, he acted like a hotshot, but I'm sure of himself at the same time. Always trying to be on top, but never knowing how to get there, end quote. Ricky knew he had considerably better weed than everyone else in Lakeway, but never understood how to capitalize on it. He seemed to have trouble with his customers, either high schoolers not paying him full, or once in the spring of 2009, a customer of his started creating a commotion at his new apartment, and which led Ricky to throwing away thousands worth of marijuana to to get rid of any potential evidence. Also, while we're talking about the apartment, Ricky shared his South Austin apartment with two roommates, Roy M. Rennick and Samuel Hayden Grifford. They'll pop back up in the story later though. Anyways, by May, Stacy had graduated and started making plans to move back to Houston. It's believed that Johnny had similar plans, but he still had to figure out what to do with Ricky. Johnny started to believe that Ricky had been lying to him and was keeping any profits made for himself. Johnny's plans seemed to be getting as much money from Ricky before the move, and then once he moved, he would cut all communication between them. On July 17th, 2009, Stacy had left town for the weekend for a party. While Stacy was away, Johnny made a total of 19 calls to Ricky, all that which went unanswered. On July 20th, Ricky's parents met with lawyers to discuss unpaid child support, which gave Ricky the excuse of him being with his family all weekend. Later that day, a three-minute call between Johnny and Ricky is made, but I'm unsure of exactly what they talked about. I mean, I guess you could yeah, assume you that assume they're talking about Assume that money it's about weed, but... And, and money. Mm-hmm, but money. the exact, like, conversation was never told. After the call, Johnny and Stacy met up with some friends at a restaurant. During the meetup, Ricky texted Johnny saying that he was out to dinner with his mother, but he'll call him tomorrow morning. After dinner, Johnny, Stacy, and one of their friends went back to Stacy's apartment and crashed there for the night. In the morning, Ricky called Johnny and agreed to meet him in the apartment. Around 9.50, the friend left Stacy's apartment and saw Ricky entering the apartment building. A few hours later, Stacy's mother, Joyce, grew concerned about the lack of communication from Stacy. You see, Stacy was supposed to meet up with her parents but never contacted them, which was unlike her. Stacy was always in contact with everyone in some form or fashion, whether that be over the phone, email, or social media. Stacy's father, Bill, initially shrugged off the worry and told Joyce to check to see if Stacy was at a friend's house. After contacting a few of Stacy's friends, they all told Joyce that 
Stacy wasn't at their house and hasn't been at their house. This caused more worry for Joyce. Again, she told Bill about her concern. So Bill suggested she's probably still asleep at her apartment. So Joyce and Bill asked some of Stacy's friends to drive to Stacy's apartment and see what's going on. Sadly, they would come across a gruesome crime scene. In the living room, Johnny's body was found lying in a pool of his own blood. Stacy's parents were immediately told about the scene and headed towards Austin. Police were called and immediately closed off the crime scene. In the apartment, two bodies were found. The first one being Johnny in the living room with multiple gunshot wounds to the head. The second body was Stacy in her bedroom upstairs with two gunshots to her head. Investigators immediately came suspicious of the crime scene because there was no signs of forced entry, so it wasn't like a robbery gone wrong, but also there were no gun shells at the crime scene. They suspected only someone the couple had known would commit the crime. Over the next few days, police received anonymous tips implicating Ricky as the murderer. Either on Friday or Saturday, some of my sources said different things of that week, police arrested Ricky for the suspicion of the murders of Johnny and Stacy and found marijuana in his South Austin apartment. After hours of being pressed by interviewers, Ricky confessed to the murders but told police that he didn't work alone. With his large debt, Ricky feared that his only option to get rid of his debt was to kill Johnny or else Johnny would go after him. He had told his roommates, Roy and Samuel, of his fear and they helped him create a plan on killing Johnny. Ricky says that he borrowed a .22 caliber handgun from an acquaintance of his. With the weapon, Roy helped create a homemade silencer for the gun. Around 9.50 a.m. on July 21st, Samuel dropped Ricky off at, at Stacy's apartment building with Ricky was a large green duffel bag. Ricky entered the apartment, pulled out the .22 caliber handgun from the duffel bag and shot Johnny multiple times. After Johnny was dead, Ricky went around the house to see if anyone else was in the apartment. Sadly, he found Stacy in the bedroom and shot her as well. Once the couple was dead, he smashed both of their phones and picked up all the bullet casings. At 10.12 a.m., Ricky called Samuel to pick him up and they left the scene. Ricky also told police that Stacy was never a part of the plan. The only reason he had killed her was because she was at the wrong place at the wrong time. The tragic deaths of the couple led to many theories about why they truly died. Yes, you could just say it's drug related, but the family felt that there might have been ulterior motives. The Goosey and Barnett family were shocked by the news of Johnny dealing drugs. Johnny's parents and sister refused to believe that their son slash brother would deal drugs. Johnny's sister believes that Johnny would experiment with marijuana, but Johnny's parents refused to believe he would even experiment with it. In fact, Johnny's parents believed that Ricky had robbed the couple but didn't want to be caught, so he murdered them. They believe this because Johnny's father had given Johnny a watch that was missing from the crime scene. Many questioned whether or not Stacy was involved in the drug dealing business. However, investigators believed that Stacy wasn't involved and possibly didn't even know that Johnny was a drug dealer, which I find a bit hard to believe. I mean, if 
I feel like it's easy to know. Like if you're if you're with someone for a good amount of time. Because they were together for two and a half years. I mean, and if she's fine with him doing marijuana, mm-hmm. and she's like seeing him, like she she's probably new. Yeah, like, I don't think she was that much in the dark. Mm-hmm. With the drug dealing secret out in the open, people still wonder what other secrets the couple had taken to the grave. But it's interesting that the parents don't even acknowledge that it could have been a possibility. I think it's just grief. One of the things of grief, just being in denial yeah. of all the things they could have done. Yeah, that's just interesting. I feel like it's hard to to understand this case like as a parent if you don't accept the fact that like it was drugs involved because then otherwise it doesn't really make a lot of sense yeah well they also i think a part of it is they're sticking to a stereotype of a druggie Mm -hmm. per se and johnny wasn't that johnny was very smart very educated very wealthy and i guess to them it's like these low lives who came from a bad home, um, who abused drugs, which is most likely the case with his parents. That's probably how they stereotype, but that's, honestly, it's not true. Most most successful drug dealers are like uh, middle class, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After Ricky's confession, Roy and Samuel were also arrested in August of 2010. All three pleaded guilty to the murder of Johnny and Stacy. Ricky was sentenced to life with the possibility of parole in 2039 for two counts of capital murder. Samuel was sentenced to 50 years and Roy was sentenced to 35 years. From the sources I saw, it was never specified if Roy and Samuel were charged with murder or accessory to murder. But I'm assuming they were charged to accessory because they never committed it, but they helped. Yeah. And I think I think Roy got a lesser sentence because I think he uh, spilled the beans. Maybe that's what I'm thinking because there's no reason. Well, the Ricky sentence was actually a plea bargain because his was they were gonna put the death penalty on for him. So he probably gave some sort of. So information. I think he gave away information so that he could. All he got was life, so he can't. They're not gonna kill him. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I know Ricky, Ricky gave them information. And then I know, I think Roy did as well, because I don't think Sam did. Sam got 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> Sam. <laughs> anyway, well, the West Cambridge shooting, I specifically focused on James Richard Ricky Thompson Jr. And his childhood and just the struggles of what he's going through. He was 19 when he committed these mm-hmm. murders. Very, very young age. I think, I think it's important to note that during 19, your psychological development, especially in the brain, is not finished Mm -hmm. and you as a teenager you're more likely to make rash decisions because you have more hormones going on although that's no justification for murder it's just a justification of harder to control your emotions um which is the point i'm trying to get at because of his childhood i feel like divorced parents although we don't know a lot of information about that that harms a lot of emotional development and intelligence and sort of like Mm -hmm. intelligence in terms of like dealing with your emotions yeah and how to express them it can cause kids to it can it can hinder kids from developing cognitively and socially in a positive manner it causes people to be withdrawn and have lack more lack of self-control mm-hmm. just because of what their parents is doing so rash and it's a stressful situation because typically parents are bitter of each other and although a lot of uh, children overcome it it can still leave traumatic psychological issues. trauma and issues i feel like he could probably and in childhood there's a lot of issues and one thing that develops is like a sense of competence self-worth and when you're 19 you're supposed to gain more of that 
and just be more confident and futuristic about your life. Mm-hmm. That's what most psychological development that occurs. You're you're getting out there and you're doing new things because you're not you're one you're an adult and one two you have less psych, uh, psychological ability to do so. But in this case, I feel like he might be hindered because maybe he has this lack of self control, but also he feels incompetent. He might not feel like he's enough because when he's surrounded by he's surrounded by people who think he's a dumbass, you know, yeah. quote unquote, like they don't appreciate him. They just feel like he's this blow off gangster, not even that cool. His parents are probably like not not that they maybe not care about him, but just aren't all about him. It's more about them and their life since they're separated. Yeah. And he might feel like he wasn't competent enough to keep them together because that happens a lot with divorced parents, but also with his mom getting married and him having to move out, he yeah. might feel like he wasn't enough, which honestly like is very stressful on a kid and cause and can cause traumatic like decision impairment yeah. in terms of emotionally because you don't have that emotional stability mm-hmm. to express your yourself or control your emotions so more rash decisions um also the stress related to substance abuse and breaking the law is also very stressful which if he has impaired judgment then you know like it's even harder to control that and he felt that being probably felt that murder was his only way out even if he wasn't going to be even if he wasn't going to be murdered by johnny and johnny was just gonna dump him so he was still in trouble i guess and then above being um stressed out probably from parents and developing unhealthy ways to deal with emotions and life and stuff um the stress of like being on your own is a lot as well Mm. it's just he's an adult now he's living with two roommates it's stressful to be out on your own even if it is exciting to get to do things you want to do and be independent it's still stressful to be on your own it's stressful to run an illegal business or be a part of one and i don't think he really got the he doesn't really have the emotional support in his childhood to help him through that yeah i mean granted murder is a is a choice and it's i can't justify it but these are things that could have contributed to his rash decision yes also like i just wanted to see how it affected like the general area and stuff because west campus is like a ut dominated austin Mm -hmm. and like they did a poll the austin posted a poll in 2009 like right after the murders and it said that like students didn't really feel much of an increased concern for their safety because they felt like it was targeted and like wasn't really a, a mass school shooting so it didn't bring that f- the same fear as we feel most oh, days like it could yeah yeah so like them. students were like a little on edge but then they weren't like super concerned because it was so directed at two people yeah so in terms of like deep feelings of incompetence which led to him breaking out like making that rash decision because it's like a build-up like think about it the weekend before his like parents were going through divorce he's dropped to school he feels like he's not enough his friends don't think he's enough his co-workers don't think he's enough <laughs> you know like he feels like he's not enough because he's not making enough money even though he's doing his best to fit in like how he dropped out of high school mm-hmm. and like how that could lead to his building of incompetence this is very not what i was talking about before i totally ended my analysis but <laughs> it's fine <laughs> like he felt incompetent in terms of like for his parents he didn't feel like he's enough for his yeah. mom he didn't feel like he was enough because i'm sure even left him pressure from his classmates either that be from austin high or like travis high mm-hmm. I think it would have been like, you're just a druggie. You're just a dropout Yeah, druggie. you're just a dropout. So and then, then he's like, like, great. Well, then he, I think he tried to be the best he could at this persona that 
people had created for him but even that wasn't enough for them and that probably made him even feel even more incompetent yeah i mean his co-workers called him a dumbass or his fellow weed sellers <laughs> drug dealers calling him a dumbass and like probably like he's getting from high schoolers so they're probably like oh you can't even get money from kids you know like that should be the easiest that should be the easiest and especially a affluent community like mm-hmm. he probably feels incompetent there and plus he dropped out of that school so probably a lot of kids still know he went there at the time yeah they're like and oh it's just a dropout he feels incompetent and he feels like a druggie and he's trying to put on this gangster persona but nobody's buying it and he i feel like in general he just felt incompetent and it just built up to so many things that it just probably made him snap yeah or and plus and be, well snap and but he shouldn't have committed murder but i feel like he also didn't know how to deal with his emotions so i made him do rash decisions where he felt like murder was his only option which there are so many better don't options. murder <laughs> so many better options but it's i know don't do drugs kids and if you are do them safely and don't <laughs> murder anyone because of them well it's just like he, he really did not have to and stacy didn't do anything she was just there yeah she was just sleeping She's taking a nap. That's fucked up. That's why he got life. <laughs> he, yeah. Well, it was either that or death because Texas has death penalty. Yes. This isn't Texas, by the way. This is Texas. Texas and the United States. If you'd like to check out anything we discussed today, check our Instagram and Twitter. Over there will be our sources, photos, and additional material. Also, if you would like to have a recommended podcast show from you, we will take it. <laughs> Have a lovely rest of your day. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Bye.